Lesson 3 for July 12 to 18, The Holy Spirit. Sabbath afternoon, July 12. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as we start this lesson on the Holy Spirit. As we open your word, we pray that the Holy Spirit may be there for each of us, that we may understand what your word says. We may understand more about you and your lovely character and how your love is expressed in so many different ways. Bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John 14, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Let's do that again. John 14, verse 16, And I pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Of the three persons of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit is the least understood. It is ironic that the person who is closest to us, the being who produces the new birth in us, who dwells in us and transforms us, is the one we know so little about. Why? To begin with, the Bible is less explicit regarding the Holy Spirit than it is about the Father and the Son. There are many references to the Spirit in Scripture, but most are metaphoric or symbolic. The Bible gives us ample information about the work of the Spirit, but it says little about His nature. Another reason arises from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is constantly trying to focus our attention on Christ, not on His own person. In the plan of salvation, the Spirit plays a subordinated role, serving the Father and the Son, although this function does not imply inferiority in essence. This week, as we listen to what Jesus taught about the Spirit, let us eagerly pray for His transforming presence in our lives. Sunday, July 13, the representative of Christ. With fear and sadness, the disciples listened as Jesus announced his imminent death. When they were deprived of his presence, who would be their teacher, friend, and counsellor? Knowing their desperate need, Christ promised to send his representative to be with them. Question. What particular name did Jesus use for his representative? In what sense was that name so appropriate? Well, let's have a look at John chapter 14, verses 16 to 18. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you, and verse 26 of John 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Helper, Counselor, Comforter are various translations of the Greek parakletos, which is made up of the preposition para, which means beside, and the adjective kletos, called, 
It literally means one called to the side of, giving the idea of a person summoned to one's aid. It may refer to a mediator, an intercessor, a helper, an advisor, or even a legal advocate. Only, John uses the term parakletos in the New Testament. Interestingly, he also applied this word to Jesus himself in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. During his earthly ministry, Christ was the disciples' counsellor, helper and comforter. Therefore, it is quite appropriate for his successor to receive the same name. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father at the request of the Son and in the name of the Son. We read about that in John 14, verse 16 and verse 26. The Spirit continues Christ's work on this earth. Through the Holy Spirit, the disciples had the presence of Jesus. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 18, said the Lord. He was not talking about paying them an occasional visit, which wouldn't be of much comfort to helpless orphans. Rather, he was announcing a permanent and intimate relationship. I in you, he said in verse 20. This was going to be possible only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Christ's human nature hindered him from being personally in every place at the same time. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is omnipresent, as we read in Psalms 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your Spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? By the Spirit, our Saviour is accessible to all, independent of where people are or the physical distance that separates them from Christ. So to finish today... In what ways have you experienced the reality of the Holy Spirit, even though his nature and how he works in our lives is not easy to understand? Monday, July 14. The Holy Spirit is a person. Ellen G. White wrote that the nature of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Men cannot explain it because the Lord has not revealed it to them. Regarding such mysteries, which are too deep for human understanding, silence is golden. That's from the Acts of the Apostles, page 52. Nevertheless, she also affirmed that the Holy Spirit is a person, for he beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. He must also be a divine person, else he could not search out the secrets which lie hidden in the mind of God. That's from Evangelism, page 616 and 617. This statement was based on the Bible, Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? 
Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So, although we are limited by our human nature, through the Scriptures we can at least know that the Holy Spirit is a person and that He is divine. What Jesus said about the Holy Spirit confirms this conclusion. Question. What are some of the actions of the Holy Spirit that show us He is a person? First of all, John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will testify of me. And John chapter 16, verses 7 to 14. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus mentions several activities the Spirit carries out, all of which imply a personality. Who better than a person can teach us and bring to our remembrance all the things that Christ said? Or who better than a personal being can testify of Jesus, as in John 15.26, convict the world, as in John 16.8, guide us into all truth, and also hear and speak, as in verse 13. Following the teachings of Jesus, the New Testament writers made it clear that the Holy Spirit has the essential characteristics of a person. Will, in 1 Corinthians 12.11, which reads, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Intelligence, as in Acts 15 verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And Romans 8.27 Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And emotions. Romans 15.30 Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Because the Holy Spirit is a divine person, we must humbly surrender ourselves to his will and guidance. We will invite him to dwell in our hearts, as it says in Romans 8.9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. To transform our lives, 
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our characters. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. On our own we are helpless. Only through his power working in us can we become what we have been promised in Jesus. So to finish today, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Like most gifts, it can be rejected. How can you make sure day by day that you are not turning away from what the Holy Spirit seeks to do in your life? Tuesday, July 15, the Holy Spirit is divine. When Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to the disciples, he called him another helper in John 14:16. The Greek word Jesus used for another is alos, which means another of the same kind, in contrast to heteros, another of different kind or quality. The same likeness of nature that bonds the Father and the Son is revealed in the relationship between the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come in John 16.13. Only a divine being can announce the future, as it tells us in Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The divinity of the Holy Spirit is also attested by his role in the inspiration of the Scriptures, a function that Jesus explicitly acknowledged. He argued, David himself said by the Holy Spirit in Mark 12.36 and what is recorded in Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. While on this earth, Jesus was constantly under the direction of the Holy Spirit. After being anointed by the Spirit in his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness in Luke 4.1. Let's read Matthew 3.16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Victorious over the tempter, 
he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee to carry on his ministry in verse 14. The miracles he performed were done through the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12:28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The fact that the Son of God depended on the Spirit is another demonstration of the divine character of the Spirit, for it's hard to imagine the Son of God depended upon anything less than the divine. Further evidence for the deity of the Spirit lies in his association with the Father and the Son in texts that mention the three persons as equal. Thus, Jesus commissioned the apostles to baptize the new disciples in Matthew 28:19 in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Question: How do the following verses help us to understand the divinity of the Holy Spirit? Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. The comparison between speaking against the Son of Man, a sin that may be forgiven, and speaking against the Holy Spirit, a sin that cannot be forgiven, shows that the Spirit is not a common being. Blasphemy is a sin committed directly against God. Thus, we conclude that the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Godhead. Though much has been written about the unforgivable sin, the immediate context shows people so hardened against the Spirit and his role in salvation that they attribute his work to the devil. Wednesday, July 16, The Work of the Holy Spirit We've already mentioned the important role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the incarnated Christ and in the inspiration of the Scriptures. Let us focus now on what Jesus taught about the Spirit's work for our salvation. Question. What indispensable work does the Holy Spirit do in order to prepare us to accept the Saviour? John 16, verse 8. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Who takes their medicine unless they acknowledge that they are sick? By the same token, we cannot be saved unless we recognize that we are sinners. Softly but steadily, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have sinned, are guilty, and are under the righteous judgment of God. Then the Spirit guides us to Christ, testifying about Him, as in John 15:26, the only one who can save us. Since Jesus is the truth, as we read in John 14:6, by taking us to Jesus, the Spirit is also taking us into all truth, as it says in John 16 and verse 13. It could not be any other way, after all. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth in John 14, verse 17. 
Once we are convicted of sin, which implies repentance from our sins and are directed to Jesus and his truth, we are ready for the Holy Spirit to do his greatest work. Question. Why is it so crucial to be born of the Spirit? Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Those who have tried to reform their lives by themselves know how futile their efforts are. It is impossible for us, without divine intervention, to transform our deteriorated sinful lives into new beings. The regeneration of a sinner requires the kind of creative power that only the divine Holy Spirit can provide. We are saved, as it says in Titus 3.5, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What the Spirit does is not a modification or improvement of the old life, but a transformation of nature, the creation of a new life. The results of such a miracle are clearly visible and constitute an irrefutable argument in favour of the gospel. The operation of the Holy Spirit is not necessary only at the beginning of our Christian life. We need Him constantly. To foster our spiritual growth, He teaches us and reminds us of all the things that Jesus taught, as we read before in John 14.26. If we allow Him, He abides with us forever as our helper, comforter and counsellor, as John 14.16 said. So, to finish today, bad character habits are hard to change, are they not? And even when we stop, unless constantly vigilant, we can be overcome by them again as well. What should our inherent weaknesses and propensities to sin tell us about our constant need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Thursday, July 17, filled with the Holy Spirit. No doubt it is important to know who the Holy Spirit is, but this knowledge would be pointless unless it leads us to completely open our lives to be filled with Him. Jesus made it clear that if we fail to invite the presence of the Heavenly Guest to abide in us daily, there is another kind of Spirit that is eager to enter into the empty life, and produce a spiritual disaster. Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first so shall it also be with this wicked generation. 
Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read in Luke 4.1. And Ellen White writes in Christ's Object Lessons, page 139, Daily he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Question. What does Luke, chapter 11, verses 9 to 13, tell us about the way we receive the Holy Spirit? What do these verses show us regarding the Father's willingness to give us the Holy Spirit? So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For every one who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? At the Last Supper, Jesus promised his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit. He emphasized the Spirit's comforting and teaching ministry, which was to meet their need at that time. After Christ's resurrection, however, the context was different, and the disciples faced new challenges. Question. What was the focus of Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit after his resurrection? Let's look in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 5 contains the only record of Jesus talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had announced this special baptism in Matthew 3:11 and John 1:33, but it had to wait until Christ's ascension. What does baptism with the Spirit mean? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus himself explained this was a parallel expression. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 verse 5, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, in verse 8. To be baptized is to be totally immersed in something, usually water. It includes the whole person. Baptism with the Holy Spirit means to be totally under the influence of the Spirit. Completely filled with the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 5.18. This is not a once and forever experience, but is something that needs to be constantly renewed. So to finish today, if someone asks you, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? What would you answer and why?
Friday, July 18. From the book Desire of Ages, page 669 and 670, At all times and in all places, in all sorrows and in all afflictions, when the outlook seems dark and the future perplexing, and we feel helpless and alone, the Comforter will be sent in answer to the prayer of faith. Circumstances may separate us from every earthly friend, but no circumstance, no distance can separate us from the heavenly Comforter. Wherever we are, wherever we may go, he is always at our right hand to support, sustain, uphold, and cheer. And from 671 in the same book, the Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that he, Jesus, could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. The Spirit was to be given as a regenerating agent, and without this the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. The power of evil had been strengthening for centuries, and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of divine power. It is the Spirit that makes effectual what has been wrought out by the world's Redeemer. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Given the human tendency to self-exaltation, what lessons does the humble and subordinate operation of the Holy Spirit teach us? 2. In dialogue with Nicodemus, Jesus compared the Spirit to the wind. What spiritual lessons may we learn from that comparison? 3. Some people claim that the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is to be able to speak in what is commonly referred to as tongues. How should we respond to this claim? And four, we tend to think of the work of the Holy Spirit as an individual, one-on-one -on -one basis, which is, of course, correct. At the same time, how can we, as a corporate body, experience the reality of His presence in our church as a whole? Inside Story Our mission story this week comes from Czechoslovakia, as it used to be called, now called the Czech Republic. And Jan Junstra is studying pharmacology and theology in Brno in the Czech Republic. It's titled A River of Life. I'm a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist in the Czech Republic, the second most atheistic country in Europe. Going to church was part of my life, like grocery shopping and eating. I enjoyed church because I had friends there, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I had developed a rather twisted picture of God. Many other young people did too, and lots of them stopped attending church when they enrolled in a university. The Seventh-day Adventist church leaders prayed for a way to reach university-aged people across the Czechoslovakian Union. God answered their prayers with INRI, I-N-R-I, road, which means Jesus' way. It's a program primarily for university students. When I began my university studies, a youth pastor invited me to attend INRI Road. 
It's like no church I've ever been to. Casual weeknight meetings provide lots of opportunities to bond with other students. The program includes Bible studies, of course, but we could also join language conversation groups, sports teams and other activities. I continued going because I enjoyed the fellowship. Mark, the founder of Inri Road and leader of the group in the city where I am working, asked me if I'd like to join the planning team for Inri Road. I agreed. We were encouraged to try our outreach ideas to see if they would work. And we have lots of smaller groups that make up Inri Road. For instance, an Adventist girl studying medicine invited another Christian girl to pray amid the stack of books in the library. Others joined them and the group grew. They wanted a place to meet, and Inri Road invited them to join. This is typical of the way Inri Road is growing. Many members are not Adventists, but are friends. I attend two Bible study groups, and the in-depth study we do has opened God's Word in new and amazing ways for me. I see how far God has taken me in my walk with Him. I'm learning to rely on God for everything. He is giving me opportunities to act on the lessons he's taught me and to share what I've learned with others. I want to pass on what I'm learning about God and life and ministry to others. I want to help others see that their lives are a gift from God, a gift they're responsible to give others. This realization has changed my life. Last year, Henry Road received part of a 13th Sabbath offering to help expand the program to other university cities, to train leaders, and to provide resources that will bring other young people to a knowledge of the Saviour. Thank you for caring about the youth of Europe. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful. <laughs>